You are listening to a message from Thrive Community Church, a church located in Southwest Florida. For more info, visit us at thrive-fl.org. Welcome to Thrive. It's good to have you online this morning with us. It's great to uh, be a family, even though we are socially distancing this morning again. I think it's time to pray. Let's do so. Lord God, this day is yours again. We thank you. Uh, even during a time where we are socially isolated and some things have been um, reduced or removed from our lives, we pray, Lord, that you would be with us. We especially lift up to you all the healthcare workers in our midst, Lord, who are uh, serving in such high uh high intense ways right now. We pray, Lord God, that you'd fill them, that you would protect them, that you provide for them, that you help us to thank them in a variety of ways. We pray, Lord, too, that you would be working in their lives today, that you would help them, Lord, grow closer to you in the midst of this pandemic. Lord God, we lift up to you our national and statewide leaders, and we pray for your wisdom to be upon them as they lead through this pandemic. We pray that you would work in them your will and your ways. And for so many who are serving us in this world and in our community, Lord, for people in the grocery stores as they are checking us out and shelving the food, as those who are moving and transporting the food throughout this country, those who are uh, essential farm workers, our pharmacists, our gas attendants, our sanitation workers, Lord, so many who are essential to the way our community runs, and we pray that you would protect them and keep them in your care and, and work. Uh, um, we pray for those who are unemployed now, Lord, um, the millions across our nation. We pray, Lord, that you provide for them day after day, that you give them hope at this time. For those who are sick, for those with coronavirus and those who are sick or ill during this time, Lord, that proper medical care is given, that you are working through all of those things. And finally, for this world, Lord, that your kingdom comes and your will is done here on earth as it is in heaven. All of this we lift up to you today and pray that your spirit would be working through the message today to fill us with your hope, your clarity, uh, your passion, your direction, and so that we see this world and this time through your eyes, Lord God. All this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are in a new series today called Spring Cleaning, Making Room for Jesus. And as uh, we're going through this, I thought of an illustration that seems in some ways not at all related. <laughs> and yet I think you will find out how it really ties in. This was an illustration from a book by Stephen Covey. Uh, I think it was the book First Things First. And in it, he talked about a professor who brought in a glass jar into his classroom to his students. And he sat it down in front and he looked at his students. He was talking about time management. And he explained this illustration to them and shared it with them. And he said, OK, uh, is this jar full? And the student said, no, it's empty. And so he came to the side. He had a bag full of rocks the size of golf balls or a little larger. And he filled the jar up with these rocks. And then he asked the question, is this jar full? And the student said, yes, it's now full of rocks. But then he turned aside and he 
picked up a bag of smaller stones and he poured them into the jar, shook it down, got those small stones to fall into all the cracks and crevices around the bigger rocks and, and uh, then asked the question again, is this jar full? And the students started to go like, hmm, we're, no, I don't think so. And he said, you're right. And he picked up a small jar of pea gravel, poured it into that jar, shook that pea gravel around, and asked the question, is this jar full? And they answered, no, you're right, he said. He picks up a bag of sand, and he pours that on top, and shakes that down again. And then he asked the question to his students, we're talking about time management. What is the point of this illustration? And one of the students shot up his hand and said, well, professor, there's always room for more. And the professor said, not quite. A lot of people think that that's the illustration, that's the answer to it. But he said, here's the point. If I didn't put the big rocks in first, they would have never fit. So today we start this series, Making Room for Jesus, and we're talking about putting the most important things in first into your life, because if you don't, all the other things will crowd it out. And we're starting um, with a vignette of three different wannabe disciples of Jesus. As he is walking on his way to Jerusalem, there are three different encounters all capsulated into one short section of the Gospel of Luke in chapter 9. And you can follow along with this. And in this, they're basically asking the question of what's the best in life? What's the most important? And is that already in my life? Or have I let the good things get in the way of the great? Luke chapter 9. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. To another, he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. I think Jesus is doing some really radical spring cleaning in this text. He cuts through all the clutter in our lives and shows us that what is absolutely essential. He tone, uh, tosses out all the good things that we may even have to get to the one great thing about this life. You know, anytime anyone tries to domesticate some of the sayings of Jesus and to kind of soften the challenge that he has, often I think when people are doing that, they are trying to hold on to a little more stuff, hoarding a few good things in their lives and staying in control. And Jesus knows that all the clutter in our lives can actually kill us. So in Luke 2, we're going to learn two lessons, eliminating the good and gaining the great. First of all, eliminating the good. And you might say, wait a minute, uh, 
that's weird. Why would God want me to eliminate the good? Doesn't he want me to eliminate the bad things out of my life and keep the good things? Isn't that what Christianity, Christianity is not a moral religion of just trying to be good people and to become better people. No, Christianity is a radical religion, if you want to call it a religion at all, a way of realizing there is one great thing that is absolutely essential and all the good things can just get in the way at times. I know this is counterintuitive. We hate the idea of eliminating anything, especially when we think there are things that are actually worth having when they, we judge them as good. But nothing that these three would-be disciples in our text, you notice nothing they brought up was a bad thing at all. Nothing they had were bad. They all were asking, asked by God and called by Jesus in a sense to give up the good in order to gain the great. Now, the first wannabe disciple... He sounds the most promising because he comes to Jesus and he says, I will follow you wherever you go. That's a big, big promise. You know that? And I don't think that disciple had any clue as to where Jesus was going. Because Jesus turns around and says to him, foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has no place to lay his head. I think you could label, if you wanted to label this first disciple, as an idealist. He is full of himself, in a sense. He's full of his sense of commitment, his sense of being committed to commitment, committed to excitement, committed to passion, committed to the cause, whatever it is. I will follow you. And notice, I will follow you. Big promises. And this would-be disciple thinks he can fulfill those promises. But give him a few nights with Jesus where they're asleep on the ground and they have no place to lay their head but a stone or the hard ground itself. And I wonder how long his passion would last. Idealism says, you know, if you're really sincere and really passionate, whatever you're passionate about, that's good. And just follow that good and everything will turn out great. A little hard work, a little sincerity of heart, you get amazing results in life. Really? You know, the prosperity gospel that is preached and proclaimed in the United States by some individuals is a good example of this kind of idealism. You know, if you pray these things and if you just ask God and if you continue to have a strong faith, then God is going to bless you with more and more and more and more. But this formula flies into the face of Jesus himself and the way that he was walking, and the way that he lived. You know, I recall, too, um, I was a participant on a number of occasions when I lived in California in the Promise Keepers movement, which I believe started more or less in Colorado and the west of the United States. And Promise Keepers was a men's movement um, dedicated to men keeping their promises. And it sounds so good and it lasted for a few years and it really made a difference in some people's lives and there was some good to it. But I always had a problem with the title Promise Keepers because it placed the burden on, look at how great I'm keeping my promises when the only one I know who keeps his promises is Jesus himself. We tend to be promise breakers. 
I'm so full sometimes, and I think a lot of Christianity at times can be full of its own idealism about how we are so sincere and we are so good and we are so committed and we will do so much for Jesus. And Jesus looks at us as well and says, hey, do you know where I'm going? Do you know what my life is really about? Are you sure that you're that committed? I read uh, this week online an article by Brett McCracken. It was entitled, Coronavirus Could Kill Consumer Christianity. In it, he says, coronavirus has rapidly taken away the excesses of church, all the bells and whistles, all the nice-to-haves we've come to see as must-haves. You know, discipleship, following Jesus, has never been consumer-friendly. Never. Church was never meant to be comfortable, and the COVID-19 pandemic is forcing us to remember that truth. It's shaking us out and shaking us down. It's swiftly turning away. Um, It's completely eliminating our complacency and consumer-driven addiction to comfort. Jesus is basically saying to all of us, you like the idea of a cause or commitment? You like the idea of a swanky, wonderful Christianity? It's like, wow, I'm a part of this great thing. All you really get is me. Not a cause, me. Not the euphoria of success, me. Now, the second and third disciples that are in this text have family entanglements. And Jesus sounds extremely harsh. You kind of go like, what? Jesus in the second one? You won't even let him go to his own father's funeral? But most likely the father isn't dead and he's not even dying. A Middle Eastern commentator made this point. Let me go and bury means, let me go and serve my father while he is alive. And after he dies, I will bury him and come. You see, if the father was dying or if the father was on his deathbed, the son would not be out on the road and not be looking for a rabbi like Jesus at all. He would be at home and he would be in mourning already. His father is just an excuse not to follow. And in the last scene, the last case of the three The would-be disciple knows that when he says, permit me to go back, but first let me talk to my family and get their permission and say goodbye to them, he knows his father will never let him follow an itinerant preacher like Jesus. Family connections and authority in the Middle East in the time of Jesus were well known. This man was, had already made excuse. And notice what both of these last two disciples basically are saying, but first. Now, I think you've probably heard that when you're in a discussion with somebody and somebody says, yes, I really agree with you, but they really don't agree with you. You can eliminate everything they said before the word but, and after that word but, that's what they're really after. Or somebody says, hey, yeah, sure, I'll help you with, but they don't want to help. They're going to come up with a reason. Jesus knows that if anything else comes first, even something good like family, that Jesus might as well be last because he's not going to be fitting into your life.
Now consider this. This is a good way, I think, to look at it. Consider the distance between this Earth and the Sun. Do you know how far that is? It's 93 million miles. Okay? Now consider if that distance, we would represent the distance between the Sun and the Earth with a one thin sheet of paper, then the distance from one side of the Milky Way galaxy to the other side of the Milky Way galaxy would be a stack of single sheet papers 310 miles high. Now consider that the Milky Way galaxy is actually a small galaxy in a universe of a billion galaxies created by this one God who chose to become a human being in the person of Jesus Christ. And you come up to him and say, hey, let me add you into the, my life and all the good things I already have. Do you think that's going to work? That's what these two disciples are trying to do. God, you've got to fit into all the good that I already have in my life and just bless that. I don't think he's going to fit into that kind of an itinerary. Now, I know I'm being kind of harsh, but realize Jesus doesn't close off these dialogues. He doesn't end them. He doesn't look at these three and say, you don't deserve to follow me. You don't get to follow me. I'm moving on. Forget about it. He leaves those dialogues totally open-ended. Yes, they're challenging, but he, we don't know what the response was from either, any of these disciples. What we do know is that Jesus is clear. Nothing is to get in the way of following him, trusting in him, relying on him. Being a disciple, like I said, first means eliminating. And eliminating the good. And um, you probably noticed uh, through this pandemic now, through the last month of social distancing, a lot of good things have been eliminated from your life. And so many people want to get back to the way things were. In fact, I think there's going to be a push and a rush to let's move back into that. We've got to get back to where we were because and there's a lot of anxiety over that. But I'm going I'm to challenge you a bit and ask you, do you really want to go back to all those, quote, good things? Were they really great? Or were they just good? So you had a child who was into three sports in the same season, plus two other extracurricular activities, so that you were traveling almost every weekend. You never ate a meal together at home. And that was the good life? Was it great? So all of a sudden, there's no sports to really watch on TV, and you can't go to this game and that game or that entertainment uh, venue or that. Those were all good things, but were they great? Or going out to eat 20 times a month, or doing so many of the other things that, and I'm not saying by any means that they were bad. They were good, but were they great? was the good getting in the way of the one great thing that you and I, that we all need? That's the question this morning. So Jesus would say to us, you want some spring cleaning? Eliminate first the good. And then the second point, gain the great. 
Being a disciple does mean great gain, but it means it in a way that might be counterintuitive. It's not like we just add into our lives. It's the fact that we are emptied now of all those other good things so that we see the great thing that Jesus Christ himself is. And these would-be disciples don't realize what's really going on in this text. In the broader scheme of things, they only see their little part in it, but Jesus has already decided where he's headed and what his life is about. Because just in a few verses before this text of these three disciples coming to Jesus or him interacting with them is this text in Luke chapter 9, verse 51, where it says, When the days drew near for him to be taken up, he set his face to go to Jerusalem. And Luke 9.51 starts a long section of Luke that goes through Luke chapter 19, almost 10 chapters, where Jesus is headed and directed towards Jerusalem, where he will be, as the text says, taken up, or where he ascends. Now, he's not going to a party. He's not ascending onto a throne where everybody will praise him and thank him. He is not going up to the mount of the temple where he is going to be teaching and lauded and acknowledged as the Messiah and the King of Israel. But Jesus has set his face towards Jerusalem where he will be betrayed into the hands of men. He will be mocked and ridiculed and all his closest friends will abandon him and he will ascend a hill, a hill with a cross on his back. And there he will be placed between heaven and earth and pushed out of this world on that cross. And Jesus does not turn back. Jesus is totally focused on that. And that is how you are gaining the great in your life because Jesus is the greatest servant. He is the one who is going to lose physically, spiritually, psychically, emotionally, in every way possible and give up everything that was good in his life to have you. He is the one who will lose all his connections to family and friends. He is the one who will, doesn't only not have a place to sleep like the foxes and the birds have places, but he will not even in his death have a place for his burial. And he has, and they use a borrowed tomb for him. He is the one who puts his hands to the plow and that strenuous work and will not veer and will not turn around and will go straight towards his sacrifice and his giving up of everything to have you. And when you realize what Jesus Christ does for you, what he has suffered for you, how he has agonized over you, how much he has loved you and given for you, then and only then, and as much as you realize what's going on then, then you are willing to let go and eliminate the good things to have the great. Thomas Chalmers, a uh, Scottish preacher, had a sermon once called um, The Expulsive Power of a New Affection. It's kind of an old English sermon. So... He basically, you know, that's when he lived. 
um, kind of in the old English times or the Scottish times. And he said basically this, and it's a truism still today, hundreds of years later, seldom do any of our habits or flaws disappear in our lives by simply through willpower or through wanting them to happen or trying to get rid of them just because by force. No, they don't get eliminated that way. Reason and willpower are not strong enough, and we know that. How many times have we tried to do something? I've got to do this, I've got to do this, and then we fail at it. But he says, here's the truth. The mere force of mental determination won't do it, but what cannot be destroyed by may be dispossessed. The only way to dispossess the heart of an old affection is by the expulsive power of a new one. In other words, you have a new love and you're willing to let go of the old things. You will not gain a love for Jesus by simply wanting a gain, uh, to gain a love for Jesus by willing it and saying, I know I should love him more. I know I should love him more. You don't gain a love by anybody. You gain a love for Jesus by being loved by Jesus. You don't eliminate the good things in life just because you think you have to eliminate them. No. You willingly give up those good things because you see the greatness of Jesus Christ and what he has done for you. You're still struggling with this? I get it. You want to go back to the normal before COVID-19? I'd like to get there too. And you hate some of the things that have been eliminated from your life in recent days. But my question is to you, do you really want to go back to that normal? Was that normal something that was worth going back to? Brene Brown is credited with saying this, we will not go back to normal. Our pre-corona existence was not normal other than we normalized greed, inequity, exhaustion, depletion, extraction, disconnection, confusion, rage, hoarding, hate, and lack. We should not long to return, my friends. And Duke Kwan asked this question, what if God in his strange providence is downshifting the American church into a mode of simplicity, stripped of non-essentials, renewed in its fundamental identity as the people of God? This is our chance for spring cleaning, where we make room for Jesus the great. We eliminate even the good, the things that don't matter. We gain him alone as our treasure. And maybe this is the first time. I don't know who's watching right now or if you've just been tuning in the last couple weeks to Thrive or um, if you've been here a long time. Maybe you've always thought that Christianity was about getting rid of bad things and holding on to good things. But no, Christianity has always been a getting rid of anything that gets in the way of Jesus and holding on to him alone because he alone is the one who gave up everything for us. Maybe this is the first time you realize that Jesus is much more than just a human being, but he is the creator of the universe who chose to come here for us fallen, broken, and rebellious human beings to take our place. Maybe this is the first time you realize the great treasure that's before you, and specifically that you have some good things that you might need to give up. We're going to pray right now. And this is going to be our first prayer, our most important prayer of all. And then beyond that, we'll be praying for other things. And I think, Hunter, you'll be bringing that list up to me shortly. So just bring it up as I close with this prayer, with this sermon. Okay? Let's pray. 
Lord God, this um, spring cleaning series, maybe, um, you know, the things that are in my life and the clutter and the things I hold on to. Lord, I consider them good, but they're not great. Forgive me, Lord, how um, I've treated that. Um, I've been trying to hold on to everything and just add you in on the side. Forgive us for that. Um, Lord, you offered yourself, the creator of the universe for each one of us. Humbly and vulnerably, you gave up everything. You poured out your blood that we might live. As we've been stripped from some of our busyness, Lord, as some things have been eliminated in the last few weeks, we ask that now you become our all in all and you fill us. We don't want to just add you into our lives. We want you to add us into your life. We want you to take us all and be our Lord and Savior today. Take our struggles and our conflicting desires and our egotism and our, and our selfishness and all our uh, anxieties and fears, Lord God, that we have at this point in time and we surrender it all to you. We are totally yours. May we lose everything to gain you and then gaining you, Lord, that we have everything that we need. Lord God, we lift up to you today um, for those specifically who are in assisted living and nursing homes, many of them now confined to their rooms. Lord God, you know how, how difficult that is because uh, of this virus, they have been cut off from family and friends and can only talk or FaceTime over the phone and really not have much company. Fill them with your presence, Lord God. Give them your joy. Grant to them your peace and your protection. We pray, O oh Lord God, that you would be with um, Chris Rodriguez, who is still hospitalized after her uh, broken femur. We pray, Lord, that you bring your strength to her this day and that you bring your healing to her, that she may return home to be with her husband, her family this week. Lord, we lift up to you. Uh, Ruth, as she is um, with her daughter right now and son-in-law and family, that you comfort her in her times of need and bring your healing and your presence in her life. We lift up to you, Lord, um, Noel Airforth's family as they are grieving over um, her father's passing and they are going to wait for a memorial service in a couple months, Lord, but during this time of grief that you'd be with them. Lord, um, we lift all of these things up to you because you are our God and Savior. And as we prayed prior to service in our time of intercession, we pray now for Andy Blankenship and the treatment she may have for her cancer that you would uh, work through it, Lord God, and bring your healing directly to bear as well. And into your care, we place ourselves, Lord. We place all the good things in our life. We're thankful for them all, but we place them at your disposal, Lord God, so that they don't get in the way of the great. That first and foremost, Lord, you are our Lord and Savior, and everything else falls in line with that reality. So 
As a result, Lord, we pray the prayer that um, you taught us, Lord Jesus, because it centers us on the really essential and important and balances it all out in our lives. So as the family this morning gathered across the miles and through this technology, Lord, we still pray as one body here and one family under your Lordship. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Thank you so much for being with us for this time of spring cleaning and for our worship today. Just want to invite you again, if you haven't filled out a connection card, you can still do so. You can connect with us in a variety of ways. We want to serve you. We want to know who you are. And we want to be there for you, even in this time of social distancing. God's peace be with you all. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he look upon you with his favor and give you peace. Amen. Now it's time to go in peace and serve the Lord.